Logical Progression, Year 3, Chapter 9, Lesson 5. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa la'aqibatil umataqeen, wa la'ibana illa ala al-zalimeen, wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala ash-sharaf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla, wa anta tajal al-hasna idha shi'la sahla. اللهم أعيني على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته حياكم الله so I think last week we covered some side issues and we were dealing mostly with the issue of the Islam of the non-Muslim and with death itself and we basically ascertained that death is one of the mujibat al-ghusl. It's obviously, it sounds like an obvious point, but uh, it has to be made. If someone, and, and it can be a confusing point. So, first of all, death meaning the death of the person, the, the ghusl becomes wajib upon that person. We have to make ghusl for that person, and it's obligatory. It is obligatory. Um, I wanted to just add one note, which you can either add, the note takers can either put that in the, previous lesson or you can just make it now but there must be some exceptions of course to the obligation of washing the body what are those exceptions first of all is it possible for obligations to have exceptions when they are so obligatory again is it possible how how is it possible for an obligation to have an exception. <coughs> for example, the salah and the woman who's menstruating, the exception comes, no? That's not necessarily an evidence, that's more a conclusion. Yeah? So say if there was some severe harm? So, so not specific. First, before we give the specific, is it possible? Yeah. It's possible. Of, of course it's possible. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran makes it very, very clear that if a person is unable to, find food of a halal variety and then they're allowed to eat the haram and who is harmed by the fact that they are trying to pursue the halal then to save the life then one is allowed and of course uh, this is a, a, an a agreed upon principle in sharia that the difficulty of the circumstance the problematic scenario can make even the haram scenario a halal one of, of course halal to the amount that is necessary we've talked about this before and we've joked about this before someone who's starving doesn't go in to mcdonald's and orders 10 big macs and whatever and he has a party we say khalas take one or half or something like that yeah and go ahead that's of course on the position that big macs is haram which it definitely 100 percent is Ignore what these Arabs tell you. That is the people, me or the people of the book, and yeah, or whatever. Anyway, so, so this principle is well known. So that's fine. We allowed pork in the uh, to provide to stave off death. If there was no water, alcohol would uh, be suffice. Although that would be pretty much, yeah, I mean, self-defeating because you probably die of thirst quicker. But that's another thing altogether. Um, but the, the point I want to make here now is. Of course, the washing of the dead body. What would the exception be? You said. So, 
for example? Okay, good. So the first exception would be the plague or anything like that. So for or Ebola, actually. Ebola is the, 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 the good good not good, but is the relevant pertinent example now. It is permissible in our Sharia now to cremate, but cremate here is not the religious or the process of cremation, but rather the process of burning the body. Is there such a word? To to, to uh, is there a word? That, that reflects the burning of a body without a ceremony or a process? Is cremation a, is cremation a word which basically just means burning of the body? Because when I think of the word cremation, I associate it with some kind of pomp and some kind of system and some kind of administration and some kind of religious... Uh, not necessarily the religious aspect, but that is a process. This is this is what I was lending my incinerate. Incinerate, incinerate a body. Actually, I think I prefer that because in the hospital they don't say that we incinerate, we don't cremate the whatever. They incinerate, don't they? Not in a hospital. What am I, what am I thinking of? Sharps, sharps, yeah, sharps, and so on and so forth. Yeah, they are incinerated. But also, where where am I thinking of where? where flesh is burnt. Is it also in hospitals or is it in labs if they've got leftover human flesh from, exper- from experiments or from transplantation or whatever? They're not cremated, are they? They are incinerated. I think that's the right word. Allah alam. Body, so, yeah, huh? body parts maybe might be cremated, you know, but it's more specific to the person whereas that's more general to any... Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's semantics what we're debating. The point is, is that... Um, the 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 body would be treated in a uh, in a way um, that would fit the situation. Now let me just make something very clear, because I don't want there any any confusion to be the case. I'm not saying that you incinerate the Ebola victim. I'm saying that you do not have to wash the Ebola victim, and I'm saying that you do not have to do whatever is required that you would normally do, that would be risky because of the state of the victim. And if, so, so for plague or whatever, if it meant you couldn't even go near it, then you would leave it. If, it, if there was a case that the corpse itself is also transmitting the disease, then incineration would become obligatory to protect the masses. If there was no risk of it spreading, but a risk just to the person handling then there wouldn't be incineration, for example. It would be just kefen, wrapping up, and so on and so forth. Make sense, everybody? Yeah? So it's all various case-by-case scenario. The other exception would be common sense. There's two common sense. Good. Number one is no water. So if there was no water, then you would make tayammum. You would make tayammum, okay, of the body. All right? You would strike the dirt with dust and you would wipe over the hands and the, 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 the face and that would be done. And then you would make the kafan done if there was no water. The third scenario is uh, 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 combines both that or that's one option, whatever, and also another scenario. What's the third exception? Good, well done. If the body itself is decomposed, the body is burnt, the body is X, the body is Y, and washing it will... 
make it worse. You know, everything will start coming off or something horrible, whatever. Now, this is the same as... Um, this is similar to the case of tiyammum as well. If there was a scenario where you couldn't even make tiyammum on the body because it was in such a liquid state or whatever, then it would be permissible to go straight to kafan. Okay? Straight to kafan, meaning the shroud, straight to the grave in a manner that would protect. So the idea here is that it's an obligation to wash the dead body unless there's a harm to others, a harm to you, and a harm to the dead person. And then the minimum necessary action is taken to protect all of those three parties. We happy with that? Yeah? Okay, good. So the next, se- the next section then is... Uh, so then the, or the ghusl is obligated in menstruation. So ghusl is obligatory for menstruation. And then to save us coming back to number six... In postpartum bleeding, which is called nifas, with the caveat, but not if one delivers without any bleeding. This is a humbly position. So, in menstruation and in number six, postpartum bleeding, but not if one delivers without any bleeding. Okay, so this is the word hayl. Wahaybun wa nifasun la wiladatun ariatun andam. Okay, so hayl, hayl is menstruation. Ha'il, with the dad, ha'il, is the menstruating woman. Okay? Tuhur, tuhur, is the opposite of the ha'il. It is the clean period, or the off, the, uh, what's on these days? On is, I always get mixed up between on, off. On is on? Yeah, okay then. On is on period. No, I, I someone told me once, I know I'm not going to go down that line. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, خلاص. But I, I, you see, the problem is, is that I stick to the non-PC version, which is the clean and and clean and whatever the opposite is. <laughs> unclean. I don't like the unclean thing. I remember it was, um, you know, when I stopped using in public, when I stopped using the clean unclean thing, is when I saw this documentary. Um, is it the ka- ka- Kalash people? Kalash people? Kalash. Kalash? Those guys like in Pakistan or whatever? They, the kuffar or whatever, don't believe in anything or something like that? Yeah? Anyway, is it them that if they go into their menstruation, they have to be locked away for the entire period? It's true? In a hut. You've seen the same documentary that I saw. <laughs> I saw my god, Miskina. She literally, yeah, and she's on menstruation, they go, she's absolutely dirty, everything is dirty, she spreads dirt, whatever. They lock her up in a, in a hut. I said, rah! That's Pakistan. In the mountain, like, uh, region. I think, I'm not sure if it's the same, I think this is what, I think our lot, the Pathan lot, they're called Kufristan, I think. I th- <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not far away from Peshawar, it's true. It's not too far away. I'm pretty sure they call it Kufristan. I think, Baisab, uh, yeah? Yes or no? Give us some help. You're looking with interest. Yes, Kafiristan. not Kufristan, Kafiristan. And Kalash people in Kafiristan? Same, yeah? Yeah, I've been there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> kind of yes. And this is true, yeah? You heard, you heard about this when the women, they menstruate, they lock them away? Okay, again. <laughs> okay then. So, so yeah, so that's that. Yeah. Also, I don't know. I, I don't want to just make claims. Isn't there something in Judaic law about the menstruating woman? There is. 
What what is it? Every month. They can't cook, so it's takeaways during that period. This could be quite useful, to be honest. <laughs> Can you believe legitimate excuse to have takeout every month for like a whole week? That'd be amazing, man. Anyway, right. In, in Judaism, what they touch as well. Subhanallah, subhanallah. Like I said, I mean, when I heard these kind of things, I got like a bit sensitive myself. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to perpetuate that kind of idea in Sharia, because it's very easy to say clean and unclean, and you might mean it in a complete innocent way, but actually, people take it very seriously. And then maybe people will think that it's in Islam as well that we have this clean and an unclean means thingy. That's when I moved to on-off. And as you see, what happened to on-off, yeah, that was a disaster, yeah? So uh, what do you say then? Either menstruating, non-menstruating. You say it's time of the month. What do you say off the period then? What do you say? What's the PC statement? No, no, you can't just say nothing. There's got to be a statement to say normative non on my menstruating you're looking at the wrong group of people (laughs) 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 they're like they they don't know themselves well i'm looking i'm looking over there they're going (laughs) there's got to be something to there's that thingy online actually there's always like a million commenting ask one of the girls there and he was what is it that they what's the official phrase for not menstruating. Is there a simple word which avoids me having to say clean? <laughs> this is going to turn into, turn into a, a classic post-International Women's Day disaster. This is, yeah. I can see it all over the news tomorrow. So, um, yeah. Gone off. <laughs> yeah, well done. Good one. MashaAllah. She's going off, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, she's going off that. It's all mouldy and stuff, yeah. Going off. Goodness me. I mean I mean I mean I mean obviously I mean in Sharia it's tohr. It's tohr, you know, and that's pure. And uh, obviously, you know, it's it's perfectly PC in Sharia to say pure because it's a very clear understanding in Sharia that the nifas does not the nifas or the a hayyad doesn't also make someone najis. It just makes them in a state of hayyad. Regular, regular days. Regular, yeah? On break. Uh, On break. break. The, the break is the, 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 the clean... The, <laughs> <laughs> the off period is longer than the on. How can it be on a break? Praying Correct, yeah. You could argue the other way around. Praying or not praying. Break is when you're breaking off from salah. Yeah, that's see, you see, subhanAllah, that's really good. In our culture, 
it's a very clean culture, isn't it? It's praying or not praying. That's what we say, isn't it? She's praying or she's not praying. Simple as that. Yeah. Subhanallah. Very nice. Yeah, not praying, praying. Very clean. But what about to non-Muslims? What about technically? Non-menstruating. You'd never say that. I never heard that in my life. Non-menstruating. No, man. Anyway, okay. Have a, have a think about it. Anyway. They're on their period, yeah. They're talking to athletes now, and there's a lot of debates about women in sports and this, that, the other. And they were just, yeah, they said, when, when we have our period, then, it, you know, whatever. And that's the, the way they put it. It's the opposite. They're not actually working in other states. That's, that, that, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's how they have mentioned it on the radios. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm, mm. Okay. So, anyway, hail. Okay, is interesting. Uh, Hayd is one of the most, if not the, then one of the most difficult chapters in ibadat. Okay, and it is normally the long, one of the longest chapters in the issue of purification. Actually, in fiqh, it's one of the longest chapters of ibadat. I mean, it's like I don't know, even know. It's like a hundred plus pages. It's massive. Okay, and it's a mission, and it's difficult, and it's a headache. And it really is. Sheikh Uthameen has this opinion that, you know, I don't know what everyone's getting worried about. It's all very, really simple and stuff. But the reality is that the fuqaha really spoke to every single length about it. So I'm going to have to come up with something really clever to be able to cut down all those pages when we get to it in the end. So we're not going to talk about it now because I said now, Sheikh Uthameen correctly only gives it half a page just to deal with the issue. But when you then deal with the issue of Hayal itself, as I said, it will take literally... 150, 100 pages or whatever, it's a massive subject. The word hayab, by the way, means to flow, okay? And it's referring to the flowing blood or the bleeding of um, the woman. The woman has um, four types of blood, really. Four types of blood. And that's what it's, that's the actual phrase that's used. Uh, uh, four types of blood, meaning from the vagina area. So we're talking uh, hayab, okay, which is the menstrual blood which is the breakdown of the uteral, the uterus lining, uterine lining, Uter, uterine lining, yes. So the, this is obviously uh, forming, getting ready every month. You can imagine for those who are not you know, aware of the, the way that the cycle works, the, the lining in her uterus prepares itself uh, every single month to take on a child. To basically get ready for conception and then to be uh, uh, to take on the blastocyst and allow the embryo to form and then basically give everything uh, in terms of an environment required to in ensure that a child starts off every single month. Of course, if fertilization doesn't occur, if there's no initial stage of conception or you know uh, uh, fusion of the sperm and the egg, then it will break down. Automatically, it breaks down every single month. And because it's a physical, uh, uh, what's the word? Oh, no, it's not an organ, it's a physical what? Uh, uh, oh, no, how would you describe the uterine wall in, is just before it breaks down? Is it considered a physical, is it, is it, um, is it uh, not blood, not just blood? Is it, it, does it have any flesh nature to it? mainly blood okay as a structure it's mainly blood but then it breaks down and as it breaks down then it will then be expelled from the body okay and this is from of course from the miracles of 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how the body does this every single time. Of course, if that blood was to remain inside, it would cause some harm. And so therefore, it is then expelled. And that expelling of that blood will happen every single time at the same time, yani in normal women, and it will take uh, a certain amount of time. Most women are around five, seven days, and it can possibly go all the way up to 15 days, and it can possibly be even a couple of days, as that uterine wall is expelled. That is what we call menstrual blood. That period is menstruation. That's the first type of blood. The second type of blood is nifas, which is postpartum blood, which is basically the blood which is involved in labor, and it's possible for some of that blood to appear, according to the fuqaha, even before birth. So we're talking about the birth, the blood, which is associated with labor. In actual fact, when we come to it, in the books of fiqh, they define postpartum blood as bleeding at that time, but it also has to have the uh, pangs of pain. There has to be pain associated with the contractions, associated with the bleeding, associated with the time. That is if it's before. For example, if two days before there's bleeding for the pregnant woman, then with no pain, no what they call the throes of labor, the throes of childbirth, then it is like normal blood, you would continue to pray as per normal. However, if two days before you gave labor, it started with the throes of childbirth, labor, and labor can be extended for two days, and then and you, the pain was there and it was bleeding, then that blood would be considered the blood of nifas. That postpartum bleeding is then what continues afterwards as well. It is very, very rare, but it is possible for childbirth to occur and there is no bleeding of nifas and most of the time it will bleed and it will bleed for a couple of weeks and it's possible even to bleed a, a bit more as well so that is a same ruling as uh, hayab the entire rules are the same with hayab the third type of blood is what we call istihada istihada which is best translated as irregular vaginal bleeding and this is basically the same type of blood in the same type of area with the same type of reason without any real etiology. We can't actually determine why is it continuing bleeding so much, so so uh, so on, so further, and is getting too much. It's now getting out of control. We can't now uh, get a lid on it. Why is it starting at this date and carrying on? It's abnormal bleeding, okay? But it's not the normal kind of bleeding, like, for example, if you cut yourself. Or like if a woman cuts herself very very uh, uh, close to the same area, it would be normal blood, what you call venous, venous bleeding? Would it be that what it would be called if you... Normally, if you cut yourself, it's venous bleeding. Venous bleeding, yeah? So, uh, uh, would be, you know, that coming from artery, venous, meaning normal, straight, clean blood that would be coming from a different area. That is in contradistinction to istihada, which would come out the same way. And that has its own set of rulings that happens in another time. And the fourth type is called damul fasad or dam fasad. This is a very general area and it's referring to also ble- bleeding coming from the same area, but for reasons due to force or due to some form of activity which is haram or something like that. Okay? And that's a, again. So I'm just, just giving you a heads up. This is all to come. You know, whenever it does come. So, there's four different types, as I said, and we are concentrating on hail. And hail is the most common, it's the most regular, it's the most well known. Okay. Um, Sheikh says that, uh, once she, once she uh, menstruates, then once it's finished, then she has to take a bath. And it must be that she finishes. Because if she has a ghusl before she is pure, 
and tathura lam yasih therefore it is not valid that ghusl is not valid okay and the sheikh says the evidence for the obligatory nature the obligation of hayd is number one the hadith of fatima bint abi hubaysh radiyallahu ta'ala anha that she was menstruating and so the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam ordered her to remain as per in her, her to, to, to 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 basically remain on her period bleed out if you like okay to uh, translated it uh, translated literally literally sit out your normal time sit out your normal time meaning continue let it finish let the menstrual blood finish and then to wash take the ghusl and then pray this hadith is narrated by bukhari it is the most authentic in the chapter it's the most authentic in the issue of hayr okay um and of course anything when the prophet sallallahu says when we say the prophet sallallahu commanded her then of course command is wujub okay the asal is obligation the asal is obligation also also there is an indication in the quran to the generality of this ruling as well because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wala taqrubuhunna hatta yatahurn fa idha tatahharna yeah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah al-baqarah do not approach them until they have become pure but once they have become pure then approach etc etc of course this is referring to marital relations the purity here is referring to ghusl and they're not approaching is because they are in menstruation that's what al-baqarah verse 222 and so therefore this is a evidence that to make ghusl was something very well known amongst the people um, and the ayah is not obviously just sufficiently enough as of an evidence to indicate the obligation but the hadith makes that very very clear but the bleeding must stop and that is all that sheikh wants to say about hayal okay now i know that there's a thousand questions that are going to come in okay online all right Da-da-da-da. what about this a spotting color no sure bath leather that's the only for next year or whatever it is when Kitab al Hayd comes around. Have to think of a quick fix of that. Some trying to black that chapter somehow. I don't know. Right. You know what we need to introduce us? We need to introduce LP days. Mm-hmm. Where basically we, we I just thought, when I saw Kitab al Hayd, I looked at it and I thought, rah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? If we have like a day where we smack it out of the park, just like, boom! Like you read the whole thing and just yani, summarize the whole thing. Yeah, with all the key issues, bam, 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 bam. One day, everyone just brings their their backside pads, <laughs> or maybe we might even yani, we might even you know we might even allow some chairs that day or something like that, and just go da 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 da, da. and someone can watch it all or attend it all. What do you reckon, Shaz? For those things that we can't imagine spending a year on. Some Kansas in the middle. Some Kansas in the middle. Maybe twice. (laughs) 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 Come on, man. You know what you're saying? Saturday we could do it one day and it was a big topic. I mean, people are complaining that we're getting behind. Getting behind, taking too long. Absolutely, you know, sidetracked. Getting too sidetracked, talking about some other things, people complaining, like Apple Watch. I don't know why don't we talk about Apple Watch. Apple Watch, by the way, 100% legacy, I'm telling you now. 100%. And I'm not even talking about the gold one. If I ever see anyone wearing a gold Apple Watch, I swear you're dead. 
honestly, that is it. Fatwa, haram, everything. It's all going to come out. What did we say, by the way? Do we say it's allowed to wear gold watch or not? No, we're not allowed. We're not allowed, yeah? Okay, then, khalas, there you go. Job done. What about the pebble or the G gear, whatever it's called? Gold's not permitted. Oh, right, okay, khalas. <laughs> That's it. I like, I like, I like this. I like this kind of with people. I like this kind of system. Right. So that's that. Yeah. We should look at that, though. Honestly, just thinking about that, you know, just makes my mind go weak. I'm just like, you know me. I'm like dreaming when we're gonna get to Salah. Kitab Salah. I had a dream the other day actually, that we actually reached Kitab Salah. I was so happy, man. I was like reading it, teaching it, and I realized it was a bloody dream. You know what? Because he doesn't. Allah, it's true, man. What a mission this has been. Awesome. Anyway, Nifas. Okay, so the next one then is postpartum bleeding. This is the sixth of the obligatory matters. What is Nifas? It is the blood. It is the blood which is expelled with labor or after labor or before it by two or three days upon the condition that there is Now the word talq does not necessarily mean just contraction but it means the pain. As I said, it has to be pain. Okay? Labor pain. Whatever. Yeah? Okay. This is really good. Like what I just said a minute ago. If, however, the, 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 the blood that comes out a couple of days before or whatever, and there's no pain with it, then it's not nifas, and it doesn't stop her from praying or doing anything. Because once the hayd comes, she can't do anything. And once nifas comes, she, she can't do anything. She doesn't pray. She doesn't fast. She doesn't whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, therefore... Uh, 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 we, do, we do need to know that that, that, that associated uh, issue needs to be uh, there. Um, as for the obligatory, why is it, what's the evidence for it being obligatory? The actual evidence is just qiyas. That actually, we're not really, we're not just qiyas, but, but basically, nifas is hayl. It is the same nature. It is the same. The partum, what's the partum? The partum. Is the actual? Is is the? Uh, uh, no, uh, isn't isn't uh, isn't there and also an expelling of the womb? That's postpartum. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. The blood itself, like the uterine wall, being the initial stage of the birth, isn't the bleeding of nifas with the expelling with the the baby also part of the same form of structure? An extension of a developed uterus into the womb. Right? Similar, similar, tissues. similar tissues, same, yani, and so that's exactly what Sheikh Uthameen says. It is a type of hail. It's actually like a type of menstrual blood, of, although, of course, it's not menstrual, it's not menstruation, it's not the uterine lining, but it's the same form. So that's the reason. And this is the beautiful part, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ, he used the words interchangeably. He would use nifas for hail, which, which basically puts the issue to bed. And in fact, one time he said to Aisha radiallahu anha, لَعَلَّكِ نُفِسْتِ yani, Perhaps you are menstruating. Perhaps you are menstruating. And instead of saying that, perhaps you are menstruating using the word حَيُّ, he said نُفِسْتِ from Nifas. 
So therefore, it's clear they're both the same thing. So that's why there is a agreement. And just to make it sure, and the scholars have agreed across all madahib that you must make a ghusl after nifas, just like hail. The next statement is the interesting one. But not if, the humbly position, there is no ghusl though if the birth occurs without any blood. So there's no bleeding that actually occurs. Alright? Uh, and what I mean by that, obviously you'll see blood. But I mean there's no continual flow of blood afterwards. Okay? And... Uh, and anyway, Sheikh Uthameen says, it's very simple. If she gave birth and there was no blood, then there would be no ghusl. But this is incredibly rare. Some of the scholars say, now Sheikh Uthameen is not going to mention anything on this, okay? So he's just going to carry on with the humbly position, not going to give a position. I have to say that myself personally, I like what's about to happen. And I don't want to say this is the class position, but I'm just giving you a heads up. Some of the scholars said that ghusl itself is still ob- obligatory because it is the birth which is the mujiba. It is the birth which is obligating the ghusl. It is the birth which is uh, 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 obligating the ghusl. And then he continues, he goes, and also the absence of blood is something so rare, and the rare, to be honest, is not even considered in a, uh, in a, in a, in a, in a ruling. And this last statement, to be honest, it, it gets me. I, I like it. He goes, and also the woman, whatever's going to happen, okay, regardless. Uh, you know, I was in a class. I hope the sister's not watching because she's going to then attack me on Saturday. But anyway, yeah, I was asked a question. Uh, uh, on Saturday, last Saturday in Bristol, when I was teaching Fiqh al by someone who said that uh, there was a non-Muslim who's basically giving her a hard, not hard time, but saying to her, what's the uh, wisdom behind uh, thingy, menstruation and stuff? And, and uh, you know, isn't this unfair or whatever, whatnot? And I said, listen, I'll be honest with you, you know, if it was possible, I'd love a break for you like that myself, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> just straight up you know what I'm saying I'm saying straight up that's what I'm saying okay in fact it was good because it was interesting because it was like you know she wasn't buying it and then all the men in the room said uh, no you better buy it we could easily do with a nice five six day break yeah, in the summertime every month you know what I'm saying bro yeah late uh, you know sleep in every five six days are you kidding me are you flipping kidding me in summertime you'd love it bro Love it. So I'm not having that at all that the women are disadvantaged, this, that, whatever. They don't pray. Buzzing. Anyway. Anyway. I, I wanted to add, because what this sentence basically said. He said, and uh, so anyway, I mean, to be honest, I, I, and I gave my own ugly kind of explanation. The reality is, is that women do at least 10 times more work than men. Right? At least. If it's not five times, then it's got to be ten times. Yeah? And if it's not ten times, then maybe twenty times. Yeah? And, you know, their speciality is work and being busy. And men's speciality is doing nothing. <laughs> There's the greatest video on the planet that I'm going to put up sometime this week. Once I'm able to 
and whatever, whatnot. And it's this guy basically explaining the difference between men and women. And the guy's a genius, honestly. He goes into brain psychology. And he has, a, he, has a, he has a picture of a brain. He has the model of the brain, of the female brain and the male brain. And he looks all very, very academic. But instead of going academic, he just makes it into boxes. And he talks about the boxes which are here and the box which is here. And he goes, the thing you have to understand, the big difference between the male brain and the female brain, is that we have this massive dominating box, which when you open, it has nothing in there. <laughs> and we love that box. <laughs> in fact, we are the champions of opening that box and letting it flow, because we just want to be allowed to do nothing. Just to be allowed, we just, it doesn't matter. We are specialists. Women can't do nothing. It's actually not even part of their brain. They don't even have that box. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just not there. They're always yeah, stressing or worried or working, maybe doing something good. And if they're not doing something good, then they're just causing some kind of problem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah? <laughs> so they're either doing good stuff, or they're, but they're never doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? So I'm saying, to carry on in my own theory, that when women are that yani, highly strong, highly you know, worked, they need a break. They need a break. So, you know, she gets a headache, she gets inflammatory pains, she has to then, you know, blah, 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 take your time off, have five, six days, take it easy, that's good stuff. All right. The reason I say that is because, can you imagine, well, women can't imagine, but I'm trying to persuade the men. Can you imagine the woman who's just given birth having to pray five times a day as well? Be impossible, I'll tell you right now. That would be impossible. When you, when, if those of you who have not got a wife and not had kids, if you see your wife, okay, when she has a kid, and she can't even move, Yanni, for two days, first of all. Then the next few days after, you, she's been carried upstairs. And all the amount of gadget halwa you've got to make for her. And the other type of halwa, whatever, whatnot. Just pure halwa making, that's it, yeah? And she's not doing anything else but just lying there, basically, you, yeah? You have to. I know, okay, I don't make it, I, but I've got mom and dad for that behavior, you know what I'm saying? I've got other people like Shazad and his missus to do that kind of behavior, but that's all right, that's okay. The same thing, we're all in it together, you know what I'm saying? It's a team effort, isn't it, brother? You know what I'm saying? You can't just because I don't make the bloody halwa, I can't, you can't say I'm not part of the team. No, you eat the halwa. Yeah, even if I eat the halwa. Even if I eat the halwa, you can't kick me out of the team. What is that, you know? Right. So, so, you know... So actually, and, and you know, jokes aside, that's of course what Sheikh here says. He says, he makes the key point. He goes, regardless of whether there's blood or not, the amount of damage, the amount of recovery, the amount, is exactly the same. It's not the blood which is knackering her out. She's weak, labor, if it's C-section and all the rest of it, you know, generally there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue there. There's a, there's a problem, okay? And so, therefore, we should give her, this is the point, we should give the non-bleeding postpartum lady, yeah, the same kind of benefits, and it's now been seen very clearly in a benefits kind of uh, uh, paradigm, that this is 40 days off, basically, while she gets herself together, you know, mentally, physically, and then she's ready, you know, to then take that, you know, ghusl, and then she's back in action. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, to be honest, I like that. I'm not going to lie. I like that position. This, uh, uh, this position that, no, the ghusl itself does become obligatory upon her, and that the, the, she is in a state of non-praying. Yeah? Making sense? I hope so. Okay. Then, to carry on then. Uh, uh, she has the uh, English. 
the Sheikh then says, Imam al-Hajawi alayhi rahmatullah, he says, وَمَنْ لَزِمَهُ لَغُسْلُ حَرُمَ عَلَيْهِ قِرَاءَةُ الْقُرْآنِ وَيَعْبُرُ الْمَسْجِدَ لِحَاجَةٍ وَلَا يَلْبَثُ فِيهِ بِغَيْرِ وُضُوءٍ Okay, so whoever is obligated to make ghusl is also prohibited from reciting the Qur'an. They are allowed though to pass through the mosque if there is a need. But they cannot remain therein without wudu. They cannot stay there without wudu. Okay, that's the Arabic text. Let's deal with it from the sharh side, right at the bottom of three, four, five. So, basically, someone who has to make ghusl is not allowed to remain in the uh, is not allowed sorry, to recite the Quran. What is he not allowed to do? He's not allowed to pray. He's not allowed to make tawaf, okay, but we dealt with that, yes, okay. He's not allowed to touch the mushaf, and that, of course, is based upon the humbly position, and we talked about that as well, what our class position is with respect to the mushaf. We went into tafsir, okay. And who remembers what we said about tawaf? Well, I was going to say that a reminder to myself, everyone, we must revise our notes. You know that every week we should revise and read our notes once or twice. Just review, yani, what's being said, you know. That's important. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> that's the brothers who write any notes. But anyway, okay. Because <laughs> the sisters all write notes. But the brothers, Yani, Allah Musta'an, they're all waiting. And they're waiting for Yani, our team, which is like, you know, I don't know, we're a couple behind. Because the sisters have to be doing something. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Kya mashallah. You see this fiqh, Yani? You see that? Because the sisters have to be doing something, you see? It's just in their mind, yani. What would we do if we don't write the notes? It's good, wallahi, I like it. Honestly, I think you'll become good mufti, I think, you know. <laughs> right. I saw I found your card today. JKBV, I said, oh, that's a good one, that. Okay, anyway. Right. I was just cleaning up today, that's why. All right. Um, so, what did we say? Yes, good. Okay, what else then according to this now? So we've got it clear from before what was not allowed, right? It was salah wasn't allowed, tawaf wasn't allowed, and to touch the mushaf wasn't allowed. That's the humbly position which we covered a couple about a month ago. And now we've added the following. We've said that to recite the Quran is now not allowed, and to remain in the masjid is not allowed. And this is specific only to those people who have to make ghusl. They have to make ghusl. And it's important to note that even if they make wudu, that will not help. They are still not allowed to do any of those two because they have to make ghusl. So it is a suspended state until they make ghusl. Now, Qur'atul Qur'an, what does Qur'atul Qur'an mean? It means to recite an ayah um, or more. To recite an ayah or more. It doesn't matter whether that's from the mushaf or by heart. So an ayah minimum or more. However, if the ayah is a long one, then part of that ayah will be considered like an ayah, according to the fuqaha. Is that clear? So if the ayah is a long one, then even part of that ayah would be like, you know, 
will be a three, four, five, ten ayahs in a different part of the Quran. Do you understand? And so therefore, it's not just strictly pure ayah. It's like a good solid bit of recitation where you start to pick it up that, hold on, this is really, you know, this is Quran. This is proper Quran. Yeah? And this is a position. Now, Sheikh Uthameen, he mentioned something interesting here so that you can compare. The longest ayah of Quran is... Not, not Ayatul Kursi. Ayatuddain. Which number is Ayatuddain? 282, yes? Surah Al-Baqarah, 282. This is the longest verse in the Qur'an. And Shaykh Uthameen, he just mentioned this and uh, out of a side point, but it's a nice side point. He says, however, even this longest verse, okay, it doesn't contain all of the letters of the Arabic alphabet. Um, I don't think there's a tha in there. Okay. Yeah, I don't think there's a tha in there. I mean, yeah, you just have to look and check. The longest verse of the Quran, there's two verses of the Quran that contain all of the letters of the Arabic alphabet. I don't expect anyone to know because that's just like, you know, random question. But some people do know, mashallah, there's one sister who got it right on Facebook, which is very good. Okay, Sister Marjan, shout out to her, well done. Okay, she's good, she did, mashallah. Um, the first ayah is Surah Al-Fatih, well, it's not the first ayah, but it's the short one. Surah Al-Fatih, verse uh, 29, that, the verse which is Muhammad Rasulullah. Okay, you know this uh, ayah right at the end of uh, Surah Al-Fatih. This is the uh, six lines odd, six lines, I think six lines, taqriban. Uh, one, two, three, four, I think six lines. And um, this ayah has all of the letters of the Arabic alphabet, every single one. And then the other place in the Quran is Surah Ali Imran, verse 154. Okay, the ayah which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about the. Um, the sending down of sakina and sending down of rest and this ayah of course again talking about well, what's interesting subhanAllah for me is uh, and I want to maybe look into this further myself that both of these ayah are about the companions of the Prophet I think there's something interesting there however the first the, the fatah is nearly all positive positive uh, describing them in a very good way whereas there is a complaint of course against the any those that were, were questioning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ali Imran after uh, Uhud. So, um, yeah, I have to look into that. But that's, a, that's an interesting point. So therefore, the longest, I put the question out, what is the longest verse in the Quran which contains all of the Arabic alphabet? The answer is Surah Ali Imran 154. And the shortest verse in the Quran which contains all of the letters of the Arabic alphabet, is uh, Surah, Surah Al-Fatih, verse 29. Anyway, um, so Qiraat Al-Quran, according to the Hanbalis, it is not permissible. A full ayah, or anything more than an ayah, or part of an ayah, if it's a long surah, like a full line, that would be out, because that's the same thing, okay? And this is not... Referring to someone who's making dhikr and that dhikr lines up with Quran. So if someone, for example, saying Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, for example, is in the Quran. 
And Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. I want to give you guys a reminder. That would be permissible. Yeah? It would be permissible for her to do that because, or he, uh, because this is not referring just to the woman, it's referring to anyone who has to make ghusl. So sexually impure and referring to the one who is menstruating or postpartum bleeding, etc., etc. So anything which appears in the Qur'an but is being recited as not part of the Qur'an with no intention to be part of the Qur'an, but rather dhikr, then this does not fall under this category and that is permissible. That is permissible. He doesn't intend to recite it. And the evidence for why it is impermissible for the one who is in a state of janaba, sexual impurity, to recite the Qur'an is the first, number one, the hadith of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yu'allimuhum al-Qur'an wa kana la yahjuzuhu ayil Qur'an illa al-janaba. The Prophet Ali radiallahu anhu said that the Prophet sallallahu used to teach them the Qur'an but nothing would prevent him from the Qur'an, block him from the Qur'an other than janaba, sexual impurity. So that's the one time that he wouldn't then teach the Qur'an. Okay, now this hadith, my brothers and sisters, is a famous one. And if we look at the footnote, footnote number one, it is narrated by Imam Ahmed and Abu Dawood in the book of Purification, the chapter of sexual impurity, the, the sexually impure one reciting the Quran, number 229. Narrated by An Nasa'i as well in the chapter of Purification, the blocking of the sexually impure one from reciting the Quran. Narrated by Imam Tirmidhi as well in the chapter of Purification, uh, uh, entitled The Chapter of What Has Come Concerning a Man Reciting the Quran in Any Single State As Long As He Is Not Sexually Impure. Hadith number 142. And other people narrated it as well. The Muhaqqiq, the one who has made tahqiq of this book, this text, and the hadith, he's authenticating everything, adding footnotes, he says, Walhadithu wahanahu Ahmed. Imam Ahmed can, was. was um, Concerned about this hadith, he felt it to be slightly weak. But it was authenticated by Imam al-Tirmidhi. I just want to stop there and say that's a massive statement. And it would need authenticating itself, whether that's actually correct. Because sometimes when Imam al-Tirmidhi says, this is Hassan, Sahih, Sahih, this, that, whatever, the scholars differ over actually what does he mean by that. But anyway, massive, Imam al-Tirmidhi is no joke, okay? So it was authenticated by Al-Tirmidhi and Ibn Sakan wa Ibn Khuzayma and Ibn Hibban and Hakim wa Abdul Haq al-Shbili wa al-Baghawi as well in his book Al-Sharh Al-Sunnah. So there's a number of scholars of the muhaddithin, bona fide muhaddithin, who consider this hadith to be authentic. The reason I'm saying this is because others consider it to be weak. Okay? Uh, it was considered Hassan. Hassan meaning fair by Shu'ab ibn al-Hajjaj, which is no joke. And Ibn Hajar said, وَضَعَفُهُ بَعْدُهُمْ بَعْدُ رُوَاتِهِ وَالْحَقُّ أَنَّهُ مِنْ قَبِيلِ الْحَسَنِ يُصْلِحْ لِلْحُجَّةِ Ibn Hajar said that a number of people did make this hadith, did make some of the narrators weak, considered some of the narrators weak. But the truth of the matter is, is that this hadith is from a type of Hassan hadith. It is sufficiently hasan enough to use as an evidence. Sufficient enough lil hujjah. It is permissible to use it as an evidence. And you can see that in Talkhisul Habir, 
he will have mentioned this in detail and gone through it. I mention this, brothers and sisters, because this is a matter of where there's no doubt that the majority of the scholars consider it completely impermissible for the, the one who's, in, uh, who's junub, who's impure, in that manner to recite the Qur'an. And I mean the Hanafi Madhab and their Imam, the Shafi'i Madhab and their Imam, the Maliki school and a narration from Ahmed, and actually you can see the school here as well. There's a mass majority of ulama who said it is not permissible. But there are some statements from the early scholars and the later scholars who's considered this hadith to be weak, that yes, it is permissible for one because this hadith is weak. That's the first evidence. The second evidence is He said, this is strange, he said the second evidence is if we do prohibit someone in, in, in a state like, like Junub, if we prohibit the reading of Qur'an upon this person, it's going to force them to make ghusl quicker. And that's a good thing. To do ghusl is a good thing. To do it quick is a good thing. And to stay in a state of Junub is a bad thing. Okay? And so these are general principles. And so therefore, if we make it haram, then we force the guy to go make ghusl quickly. And he goes that if he knows that he, yeah, because if he knows that he's forbidden, he's going to hurry up. And therefore, that's going to be a benefit. It's going to be a benefit for everyone in doing that. And then the third evidence is, it has been narrated that the, uh, 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 it has been narrated that when the Qur'an is recited, that you know when you're reciting the Qur'an, the Prophet ﷺ said, but it is not very authentic, we'll look at that in a minute, that the angels, they literally take the words straight from your mouth. Yani, and take it up and record it. Yani, it's a very honorable way. It's like as soon as you're reciting, the angels are taking up the words when you're reciting the Qur'an. This hadith, narrated by Al-Bazzar and Al-Bayhaqi on the authority of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Uh, ibn Hajar al-Haythami, this is a different Ibn Hajar of course, another Shafi'i scholar, and he's not bad in hadith as well. He said that this was narrated by Al-Bazar and his men are all trustworthy. Imam Al-Mundhari said that his chain is jayyid, is good, there's no problem with it. And it also has some supporting evidence from the hadith of Jabir, and you can see other books. Yani, inshallah, there is some form of yani, support for this hadith. However, it is not very strong. Imam uh, Shaykh Al-Uthameen, he says that we know that the malaika they do not enter the house if there is someone who is junub. They do not enter the house if there is someone who is junub. This is based upon the hadith narrated by Imam Abu Dawood and An-Nasai and Ibn Majah on the authority of Ali radiallahu an. And Ibn Hajar said that this hadith is acceptable and it has some narrating, some supporting evidences as well. It has some supporting evidences as well. This is a basic principle that we know. That the angels do not come into the house in a certain states. They've been narrated across different hadith. But for example, a house that has a dog in it. A house that has pictures or statues in it. A house which has the junub in it. Until they become pure. But if we base it upon this. If we continue upon this idea. The angels don't come in. The angels won't be taking the words from the mouth. Then of course. Then it's... it's then. Uh, by, by being in a So if the person would recite the Qur'an in this manner, there wouldn't be possible for the angel to, to uh, take it or you're going to damage the angel or hurt the angel. And Shaykh goes 
to be honest, there is weakness. He goes, I can see that this is not the strongest of evidences, but it is another, it's another possible yani, thing to consider. He goes, okay, we're talking about the one who is sexually impure. So what about the one who is pa'id? Okay, the texts are all to do with the junub one. Yes, are we clear? Now we did say that the text says, Imam al-Hajawi said, that whoever needs to make ghusl, then he, what? Cannot read the Qur'an. So, this is referring to two or three different people, isn't it? Referring to the junub, sexually impure, referring to the menstruating woman, referring to the postpartum bleeding woman, and anything else that you can think of. So, uh, and we're going to come to that. There's the non-Muslim, but... menstruating woman is make ghusl when she's finished her menses. Coming to that. Right. Coming to that. So these are the people who all need to make ghusl. Yeah, these are all the people who need to make ghusl and until they make ghusl, they're not allowed to recite the Quran. But so far, we've only given evidences for the sexually impure one. So what about the ha'id? فَإِنَّهَا مِمَّنْ يَلْزِمْهُ الْغُسْلِ وَعَلَى هَذَا فَجُمْهُورُ الْأَحْلُ الْعِلْمِ أَنَّهُ لَا يَجُزْ لَهَا أَنْ تَقْرَأَ الْقُرْآنِ لَكِنْ لَهَا أَنْ تَذْكُرَ اللَّهِ بِمَا يُوَافِقَ الْقُرْآنِ So the majority of the scholars, they said that the woman is the same. The menstruating woman is the same and she is not allowed to recite the Qur'an and the best that she can do is to make dhikr and even if it's the letters of the Qur'an, then that's fine, but she's making it in a form of dhikr, but not the actual Qur'an itself. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, with respect to prohibiting the menstruating woman from reciting the Qur'an, there is not a single clear, authentic text. There is not a single clear, authentic text. وَإِذَا كَانَ كَذَلِكَ فَلَهَا أَنْ تَقْرَأَ الْقُرْآنَ لِمَا يَلِي Shaykh Uthaymin says, if that's the case, then it is permissible for the menstruating woman to recite the Qur'an in the following, because of the following reasons or in the following cases. Number one, أن الأصل الحل حتى يقوم دليل على المنع The first reason why this should be the case, that she should be able to recite the Qur'an, is because the basic the basic uh, ruling is permissibility. The basic ruling is for a woman that she has to recite Quran or she's allowed to recite Quran. If you're going to stop her, you have to bring the evidence. So that's that asal. So you have to. The burden of proof is upon you. Number two, and Allah amara al Quran mutlaqan. Allah subhanahu wa taala commanded for the Quran to be recited just generally, and Allah subhanahu wa taala praised the one who recites the Quran. So whoever is Forcing someone out of the ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, something which he told the people to do, something which he praises the one to do, then we will ask that person for dalil. And if there is not a clear, authentic dalil, evidence, which establishes prohibition, then she is also commanded to recite the Quran like everyone else. I want to say to you that there is a hadith which is very famous. It is narrated on the, it is, it has, it is known as the, the hadith of Ismail ibn Ayyash. He's not the narrator, but he's one of the, 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 the narrators. He's not the companion, but he's one of the narrators in the hadith. And this hadith, of course, is what makes the majority of the scholars consider this. this uh, it says that the ha'ad should not recite the Qur'an. Okay? The ha'ad does not recite the Qur'an. As I said, this hadith is weak. This hadith is weak, but the fuqaha acted by it. As you can see, the humble is it as well. 
the Hanbalis did as well, Shafi'is did as well. All of the ulama, they took this hadith. As I said, according to Ibn Taymiyyah, according to a number of muhaddithin and according to the contemporary scholars, this hadith is weak. Therefore, there's no evidence, therefore, to stop the menstruating woman uh, reciting the Quran. If someone says, but hold on, we don't need an evidence for the menstruating woman because we have the, menstru- we have the evidence for Junub and she is the same. The sexually impure one is like the menstrually impure one. Shaykh Hudaymin says, we will say that this is Qiyas, they're trying to make an analogy. We'll say this is Qiyas Ma'al Fariq. If you remember back in the day, back in the old days when we studied Qiyas and we gave the different types, we said that for Qiyas to work, everything has to match up. The reason, the conclusion, the this, the that, whatever. If there is a difference in one of them, then the Qiyas cannot be applied fully. Analogy cannot be applied fully. And there is an important difference. What's the Fariq? The Fariq is that the sexually impure is in control and the menstruating one is not in control. So the Junub one can get out of it just like that, whereas the menstruating woman, she can't. Okay? <coughs> Number one. Number two, also the sexually impure or state of sexual impurity or Janaba. Okay, please, make me, please don't let me say that every word ever again. Let me just stick to Janaba, okay? And Janaba is the state, Junub is the person, okay? So Janaba is a, a quick state. Whatever happens is going to be cleared, isn't it? Well, what's the longest it can be? 12 hours, 10 hours? He has to make ghusl for the prayer, sah? Yeah, and whatever happens, the prayer is going to come in, going to force him to make with it. Whereas woman, miskina, she could be out 5 days, 7 days. If it's nifas, 40 days. We're not going to say to her, no, the Quran reading for 40 days. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? So this is something which is not yani ma'qul, not yani not not good. For he goes that for menstruating women definitely allow her, and for nufasa we would definitely give the the the, the concession because she's forty days and we have to give her something to uh, to and, and anyway he said uh, Sheikh Uthameen said that what what uh, what uh, thing he said what uh, Ibn Taymiyyah said is good. And I find it a strong madhab to follow. It's a good, real good, strong opinion. Shaykh Uthameen ends this point and he says, if someone was to say, if someone was to add, if someone was to be a bit more yani, cute and accurate and say, well, as long as the scholars are differing over this uh, issue, madam al-ulama he goes, okay, let's look at this. Clearly, there's a lot of scholars who believe that she can't read the Quran. And we respect the scholars. And there's hadith there. Even if it's weak, okay, we accept there's some hadith there. So you know what? We're also not going to say she can just read the Quran and boom, that's it. She can just read. No. Okay, then. Why don't we say then, if there's a need, then we let her read the Quran. So this is like a middle station. Yeah? If there's a need, she can recite the Quran. So for example... If she wants to recite because she wants to do her wird, what does that mean? She wants to recite her waqi'ah in the night time, her mulk. This is the wird. Wird, by the way, means something which is recited regularly as per schedule. Now, there are two types of wird. There's either a prophetic wird, meaning to recite every night that which the Prophet ﷺ told us to recite, like Surah Al-Waqi'ah, like Surah Al-Mulk, like Surah whatever, okay, at different times. Surah Al-Kaf, for example, every week, if she is from and Nufasa, you know, out for 40 days, she's missing that every Friday, isn't it, etc. So that's the first type of word. The second type of word is when you say, I myself recite 
Bakar Ali Imran before I go to sleep every night. It keeps me fresh. It's the one that I'm revising all the time. Or I have my own system where I recite all of Juz'a Amma every single night. And for logistic reasons, not for some any other reasons. Then anyway, it doesn't turn into bid'ah. So this is different two types of wirth. So one of the reasons that would be that we would allow women to recite Quran is because of she wants to do her awrad, her wirth, or because she wants to memorize, she wants to revise that what she's memorized, and she's seeing that it's being forgotten, or because she needs to teach her children, or for example, those who are women who are in madrasa and they need to study. So those are four reasons just right there. So, and if there is no need, then we'll say don't recite the Quran. So, random reciting, reflecting reciting, no. Not whilst you're menstruating, but the other times when you need to because you're about to, you have an exam, or you're studying, or you're going to forget, or you're teaching your children, or whatever, we'll allow it because it's a need. And to be honest, you know you don't have an authentic hadith, and you know that actually, really, we're allowed anyway because there's no evidence, etc. And that's what Sheikh says. He goes, we'll make it haram the rest of the time, and, and therefore, but she can still make dhikr in the rest of the times. And that's plenty good. That's absolutely fine, no problem. And he goes, And if someone went and took this position, he goes, this would also be a great and a strong position to follow. A good madhab. And I can mention the last one. To finish, no, no, that's fine. I think that's fine. I think that's fine. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, well, that I think is enough for of the text. Let's do a couple of questions and then we'll call it a night. Yes. Is there an obligation to recite the Qur'an? The answer is yes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said to recite the Qur'an in a number of ayat, directly and indirectly. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, evidence Qur'ana is an evidence, uh, a clear order and um, a clear order uh, to recite the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the, the people who uh, recite the Quran as believers who yatlu ayatihi. These are in in uh, description of the believers and so on and so forth. I think there is a consensus of the scholars that it is obligatory to recite the Quran. However, the caveat is is that that is according to ability, and so therefore, if one finds it difficult then they don't need to recite so much and they recite however they can and they would get more reward for it. But the principle is obligatory. What's not obligatory is the amount or the frequency or the whatever. There's no evidence to suggest that there is a minimum frequency and a minimum quantity. But the answer to your question, is it obligatory to read the Quran? Yes, it is. And I believe there's a consensus upon that. Allah Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. So many, subhan, so many. Yes. Yes. The actual text, well, I don't have the text with me. Uh, do I have it? Actually, we carry on with the other questions and see if I can find it. What's online? Go online.
basically uh, saying that um, the Prophet used to recite the Quran when the, his wives were menstruating, and um, it's difficult when you hear the Quran to keep the tongue still and not follow along, sort of thing. And we have uh, reports of the companions uh, putting stones in their mouths, you know, to stop it when they go to the bathroom. So have we not heard anything, uh, you know, from narrations like? No, the answer. The, the question is a good one. And as far as I know, that we don't have anything like what Shazad just mentioned, which is famously narrated from Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, that when he would go to the toilet, he would put stone or something in his mouth to stop him reciting the Qur'an because it was very uh, common on his, or regular upon his lips. And yes, it is difficult to not mouth and articulate the uh, Qur'an when it's being recited. I mean, realistically speaking, uh, uh, um, a person is not going to be held accountable for something which is happening out of their control. Yeah, and if there's a person who is reciting and you recite, and sometimes you just do it automatically. I don't believe that there's a problem with that. But a person should not willingly or willfully recite outside. Now that is taking the last position as the class position. I have to say to you that my personal position is a position of Ibn Taymiyyah and has been for like 10 years. That's my position and always has been my position. That there is no evidence strong enough to prohibit them. And that's what I promoted to all of the women's folk of my home and to any other female students. Uh, but I have to say that what Sheikh Uthameen says as the last statement, it's a good in-between position. That we allow a woman to do it for the need of whatever. And so if we were to take that position, then yes, she would avoid then reciting along with the husband or whoever male figure or female figure who she's with. And if it happened automatically, there's nothing upon her. Sorry? Yeah, this is only verbal. Yes, good. Uh, what we're talking about here is a verbal articulation. And verbal articulation doesn't mean to recite out loud. It means that you can hear yourself. So about the person who's reciting in the mind, that's not a recitation which is ever accepted. Yeah, it wouldn't be accepted as, as zikr, and it wouldn't be accepted as qira'a, and it wouldn't be accepted as salah, so it wouldn't be accepted in anything. All right? So therefore, you can't be punished for it either. If you're gonna, if you, you know what I'm saying? You can't have you know, one and get skanked on the other side as well, you know? So, that's what I mean. Yeah? So just to clarify the class position is? The class position, wallahi, if you want me to be honest, I don't know which one to choose. I think it should be Sheikh Uthameen's last statement. Uh, I, I personally believe him to follow Sheikh, uh, to, to follow uh, Ibn Taymiyyah's uh, position. But the class position for the need, I think is the safest one. I'm happy with that. The last statement, as, as was explained that if there's a need for the recitation, then she should recite. And frankly, frankly, to be honest, to keep the Qur'an in check is a need, and that pretty much covers most recitation. So that's why I'm happy with that last statement. It pretty much covers everything. Maybe just not this yani, random yani, recital with the husband flex, yani, with someone pulled out, yani, which was pretty cool, that really. But, you know, it doesn't cover that maybe, but yeah. Go on, Bob. No. That's it. Anyone else here? Yeah. I don't have the hadith for this. Yeah. That's only the time you don't recite the Quran. I mean, the Uh huh. So, sorry, so, sorry, say it again. Somebody in Hayy. Yeah. Uh, in June. Yeah. That's the only time you can't recite the Quran. 
So the, 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 the Quran recitation of the Quran the recitation of the Quran in a toilet is not linked to the person. That's something else. That's something different. That's like saying it's something completely different. Reciting of the Quran in the toilet is not allowed, yeah. but it's not linked to the menstruation or impure. So likewise, likewise, uh, you know, in salah it's not allowed, you know, behind an imam, for example, if he's reciting out there. So there's always scenarios where it's not allowed. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the one who is not allowed. So after the toilet, it's only these two conditions, and uh, There's another one, which is the non-Muslim, but we'll cover that next week. What about in Ramadan, reading from an iPad to do the khatam of the Qur'an? What about the woman who reads from an iPad... To do the khatam of the Quran. Can we take him in Taymin's minutes position and recite during Ramadan and continue our khidmah for an iPad from an iPad? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say it's haram. No, because the the issue is one of khilaf. Ibn Taymiyyah's statement is fundamentally correct. I would maybe back away. I think that we should maybe back away from it, but. As as the questioner has intimated and well well intimated, is it possible to take the position of Ibn Taymiyyah? I say yes, it is possible because his position is fundamentally correct. The hadith is the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu al Quran. Okay, that the haid al Quran. Demonstrating woman and the one who is impure are not to recite anything from the Qur'an, narrated by Imam, by Imam Ibn Hajar and Imam Al-Tirmidhi and Imam Al-Bayhaqi. And a number of scholars considered it to be weak, others considered it to be authentic, and um, it has, as I said, um, it's a very interesting hadith, this, by the way. Okay? You should also see the comments of Imam Darakutni on this. And it has, um, and it has Ismail Ibn Ayyash in it. And that's one of the reasons why there's a problem. So that's the hadith. Yeah. Everyone all done? Shazad's about to die, I think. She's like, every week you're about to die. What's happening there? Jazakumullah. Oh, uh, uh, yep, yeah, okay then. Okay, Jazakumullah. This is local anyway, isn't it? So that's fine. Anything else? Oh, just one second. Let me think. Let me think. Anything else? Anything else? No? No. No, that's done. Okay, Jazakumullah. Subhanakallah.